A day after the free agent frenzy, what's next for the Vancouver Canucks? It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Drance here with you for another extended edition. Drance are, of course, covering the team at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, we've had uh, almost 24 hours now to digest, see what uh, see what else happened around the league, think about the Canucks' moves, where they stand, what could possibly be coming next. And I, I've got a really scorching hot take for you to, to start us off here, Drancer. Are you, are you ready for this? All right, let's go. All right, yeah, so my, my scorching hot take, or I guess maybe a couple this, of this takes better, here. You better not be, you better not be um, overselling this. Like, you better <laughs> deliver now. Well, here it is. Here it is. It's, uh, you know, the, the team got a little better, even though they took on some risk with the Ilya Mikheyev deal, and, and they probably have to make some other moves before the season starts. That's my scorching, scorching hot take uh, coming out of day one of free agency for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, that didn't deliver. <laughs> that's a that's a factual summary. Look, sometimes uh, the Canucks... conventional wisdom is right, though. You know what I mean? Like, like th- th- totally. That's kind of what everyone is saying, and there's a reason that everyone is saying it because that's obviously where things stand at this point. Yeah, they identified a couple of really good fits. I think guys who will bring, you know, a style of game that this club was desperate to add more of in terms of the free uh, forechecking ability, in terms of the speed. Um, you know, the Mikhaev contract remains a pricey one for me. I, I don't think I'm quite over my sticker shock. <laughs> like, I, I just, I still view him as a bottom six guy. At the end of the day, I view him as like a high-end third line, low-end second line guy. And, and you know, that is a big ticket for a guy with that skill set. Like, a guy that I don't personally expect to score 20 goals a year. Um, you know, I, I won't be stunned if he never hits 20 goals in a single season over the four years of this deal. And that's you know, tough with the with the level of his contract, even if he is the perfect fit for the PK, even if he is one of the fastest players in the league, and even if that was probably the thing this team needed most up front, um, that number still just it's so inefficient. And as a result, you know, it's it's not just that another shoe has to drop. We I mean it's fair to say that. Like we know that. But it's that another shoe has to drop more in my view because the Mikhaev contract is not an efficient one because they didn't just play in the bargain bin I feel like the need to shed additional salary is greater like is higher it's there there should be more pressure on this front office than there had to be coming out of free agency to to make more moves to do something here especially because it doesn't make sense to have a forward group with this much on paper talent playing in front of a defense like that. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And I'll, I'll throw it out to the listeners and Canucks fans. We'll do one of our periodic vibe checks here on uh, on Canucks Hour. How are you feeling about the team, about the roster, about management, about all of it? How are you feeling now? Again, 24 hours removed from the opening of NHL free agency yesterday and with the Canucks having made a couple of pretty interesting moves in that time frame. And, you know, the point you make there about almost more pressure being on the management group, I think that's a really interesting one because we've been waiting for a resolution and almost like, 
we've been waiting to exhale in a sense, right? Okay, oh, okay, now we know. Now we understand what's going on. We thought it might happen at the draft with a JT Miller trade or, or a JT Miller extension, right? We, we've been kind of waiting for this big, you know, arrow pointing in a certain direction to understand what the team is doing. And you're right, we still don't really have it. And it feels like because they made those moves – there's almost more uncertainty around what's going to happen next. And, it, you know, going into free agency, you felt like, okay, they're going to have to make some deals. They're going to have to trade some people, or at least they certainly want to trade some people. And that just continues now. And as you said, it probably ramps up a little bit more. And, you know, it's an interesting question, okay, what's going to happen next with this team? Because, frankly, it wouldn't even surprise me if we did see another kind of bottom of the lineup or depth forward edition. You know, I, Zach Aston Reese is still out there, someone of, of that ilk, or, you know, maybe even a little lower than that. It wouldn't shock me if we did see something like that, but that just goes to your point again, which is they really, really, really need to do something something else. Whether whether the goal is, okay, maybe we take a step back and we clear some long, long-term space, or the goal is let's be as competitive as we can next year. Either way, other moves likely have to follow what we saw yesterday. Yeah, and I mean, when you look through or you look up and down this lineup now, they're, they're kind of, they're, I mean, they're basically capped out. Like, you basically have your team. You know, there's not much space remaining to, to add at this point. Like, even, even at the minimum or even a million-dollar player, um, million-dollar type player, it, it's hard. Like, it's hard. There's not space here. They're crunched up again. And to enter the season like that with, you know, three guys we expect to play in the top nine who, who are due bonuses with Michael Furlan still on the books, you know, you, you drafted your new top prospect in, in Lecker Mackey. That's the highest end prospect in this organization's pipeline now. So that's great. That's something they needed. But, I, you know, it feels very similar. Like, it feels like the situation is very similar. It almost feels like that there's a temptation here and i've said it all along jamie right the the most direct path through this offseason was to give this group another year because really they were set up to have some, sort of a two year window before a lot of the key pieces began to get more expensive right i have been saying mm-hmm. that all along structurally that's how they were positioned and if that's the case like if that's what you're doing you know to do it without upgrading the defense is tough for me, right? So I don't think that's what they're doing, though. I think there's another shoe to drop. Like, I think there's an understanding of what this club needs to do, of the flexibility that needs to be carved out. But to be at this point, July 14th, um, you know, we, we believe that the resolution with Bo Horvat will come. We're not sure what's happening with JT Miller exactly. We're not exactly sure how that all fits together. You know, I don't think we'd be surprised if there were some other expensive veterans who perhaps the Canucks will kick the tires on moving Mm -hmm. uh, in the weeks ahead. So there's still some uncertainty here, and I don't want to pretend that we're, you know, moving forward with a good, firm grounding of what the Canucks finished product looks like. But to be at this point, it becomes that much harder to make moves. You know, teams are spending their cap space as we speak, right? Like, more and more teams are getting there, right? The Ducks remain below the floor, but there's not a lot of teams in that situation. For the most part, cap space is drying up within the system, and the Canucks still have moves to make to kind of, you know, get out of that spot, right? Like, uh, you've got two teams below the floor now, Anaheim, Arizona. Meanwhile, you've got 
five teams above the cap, or no, sorry, it's seven teams above the cap. One of them's the Canucks, but of course, that's with Furlan's deal factored in, right? That'll go on LTI. Um, you know, I don't think you want to be, if you're the Canucks, in the same spending echelon as the Capitals, the Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Vegas Golden Knights, because you're materially not there, right? Like, this is exactly what Rutherford and Alvin kept talking about wanting to avoid. You don't want to be pressed up against the cap when you're not a contender. And that's where the Canucks find themselves after the moves that they made in free agency. And, you know, the point about, okay, there being a certain temptation because it's kind of the path of least resistance with this group, a, t- a temptation to just run it back and see, all right, hey, full season of Bruce Boudreaux, you know, we add Andre Kuzmenko, we add Mikheyev, what can we do with this team? You know, I wonder how much stronger that temptation gets as the offseason goes along because you know i look I, and i saw lots of people talking about this yesterday you just look at the forward group that's a pretty nice forward group right there, there's a lot of talent up front on this team and all of a sudden you have that in place and you start thinking wow hey you know what i really like that group there's some interesting things we can do with that maybe we bring miller back okay we take on that risk you know you talk yourself into the defense now that you have that interesting forward group in place i think that temptation just gets stronger right trance to say okay hey we, we've got something pretty interesting here uh maybe we don't need to make the drastic moves now i still i still expect that they will explore all of those options right i don't think they're going to talk themselves into this roster right away but it's the combination of you've made the moves to improve the team now and as you said it doesn't get easier to find takers necessarily right and we'll see how things shake out and maybe as teams you know emerge from their free agent frenzy themselves they have certain needs that they want to address but generally it's not going to get easier to move salary off your team it's not going to get easier to create that flexibility as the summer goes along and i think those two factors could point in the direction of less change than we expected. Again, I'm not saying that's a, a guarantee or that's what I think is going to happen now, but I just think that logic becomes easier to accept the longer we get away from free agency and the farther into the offseason that we go. Yeah, so uh, and, and just playing around here, you know, assuming that Tucker Pullman is healthy to begin the season and doesn't begin the year on LTI, you know, to sort of build out this roster, you probably can bring in another million-dollar forward. So you're right. You know, maybe you look to do another million-dollar player. Maybe that's even the defenseman that you, that you ideally want to help insulate Oliver ekman Larson and Tyler Myers a bit better. Um, something that the club, you know, prioritized, uh, but but ultimately didn't execute on because I think they decided that their need for speed up front was more vital, and and thus Ilya Mikhaev. Uh, as opposed to a defender, was brought in. And, you know, all we can do, like, here's the thing. I believe that there's more to come. The organization is not hiding that there is more to come, right? It's easy easy subtext left uh, for anyone to read between the lines of of Patrick Alvin's public summary of of where the club stands uh, privately. You know, it's clear that the club is still pursuing a defensive upgrade on the trade market like clearly we know this but at the end of the day all we can really do is judge the club by their own standards you know their own standards and when I consider that one of the main through lines since Rutherford and Alvin took over was to carve out additional cap flex and then I you know remember that they've effectively added four million in long-term commitments to the books net over the course of a trade deadline, you know, a, a draft week, a buyout window, 
you know, it, it's been eight months now, right? Like it's been eight months. They've been through several major dates, several critical dates on the NHL calendar. Um, we're, we're going to approach pretty soon here where they've been through a full cycle. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about promise deliver, promise deliver, right? This club backing up their, their public commentary about their intentions with, with hard action. And in terms of strategy, big picture, right? Um, cap commitments, overall approach. I think that's an area where at this juncture, granted that the, the you know roster isn't set and more moves could come down, I think it's fair to point out that, hey, this is an example where what the club has said they'll do and what we can see today are at odds. And, you know, for me anyway, I'm just still trying to work through that mentally. I'm not trying to carve anybody. I'm not trying to be super critical so much as I'm just trying to work through, like, what does that mean? And if the temptation grows to just double down on this roster, capped out, having netted, you know, an additional fourth round pick as your most meaningful future, right? Um, while while just sort of making your own draft picks and signing a couple guys in free agency, one of whom I see as being pretty overpriced, like that's far too conventional, right? That's that's conventional, Jamie. Like that doesn't get a team out of the mushy middle. And more you know, than that's just, not it. That's not it. That's not the answer. I'm sorry. Well, it's and more not. than just being conventional. To your point, it's not what we were led to believe. And I don't think that's us drawing inferences, you know, inappropriately. I think when you when you listen to what the the you know the relevant people had to say when they came to Vancouver it was painting a picture that i think was more aggressive or at least created more movement and more different opportunities for the team going forward uh Andy Cole the A dog producing the show today what's going on Andy hey drancer i got a question for you bud i want your okay, i want your wisdom go. here um we, yeah. we've heard like a million times yesterday from Penn's beat writers the penguins are trying to offload a couple d men which seems to be the thing right now and I know we keep hearing like the Garland for Marino trade rumors. Like, what, what is there any validity to that? Do you think Garland for Marino, just one for one? Obviously, one guy four point nine five, Marino uh, four point four mil. So the cap cap is around the same. Uh, is there any validity to that? Do you, can you see Garland for Marino being a thing? N- not really. I think the Canucks would have to up the value on their side of that package. You know, if you're Pittsburgh, you don't want to move Marino. You want to move Pedersen or Matheson. Right? So, you know, teams, when they're clearing cap space, they work the way that anyone else would, right? They Like, um, like if you have to throw items off of a plane to shed weight or, or out of a boat, like, you don't throw your best item out first, right? It's the, you, you try and throw the low-value things and work your way. You know, Marino's the best of the three sort of prohibitively priced Penguins defenders. Yeah, so the Canucks um, would have to know. throw something onto that then, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't think it would I don't think Garland alone would get that done, and if it would, I think that would already be done, you know? Yeah. So, um the other thing so, about yeah, I mean, the other thing about that is Pittsburgh needs to clear salary, right? It's not just that they have a logjam on on the blue line and they need to do a a, right. a defense for forward swap is they need to clear salary cap in their own right. So, if you if you're giving them a player who actually costs more than John Marino, I'm not sure. You know, even if they did think the value was the same in the players, I'm not sure that actually is something they can do because they're still kind of in a cap bind then at that point. Well, the Canucks love their well, Pedersen, so maybe is, that's the thing. <laughs> this is what I kept talking about, though, right? Where where you know the obsession with the return of guys, right? 
can be self-defeating because the real value is just clearing the cap space and creating avenues to improve, right? This has been, Jamie, dating back months before the deadline. This has been my my major talking point, hasn't it? Right? Like, it, I don't even care if you win the deal. I just care that you clear space. And you know why? Is that you see, you know, the, the Carolina Hurricanes get Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin free, literally free, a point-per-game winger and another 24-year-old right-handed defenseman, right? Like, the opportunities, the ability to get those types of defenders, to get a Marino in a value-type trade are through the roof if you're flexible, right? If you are flexible, you can improve rapidly. And we've seen, like, the worst part about this, the most frustrating part is that, you know, it's an elite team like the Carolina Hurricanes that have managed their space that well. You know, like they were prepared to manage the departures of D'Angelo and Trocek and Niederreiter, picking up guys like Burns and Pacioretty and Coughlin for effectively free. Like they sp they spent a goalie prospect and, and a couple picks. Like, my goodness, you know, the that's where you need to get to. Like that's that's strategy. That's what I want to see. You know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the Canucks – I think, my view, they've been too stubborn about meeting, about getting their asks met for various assets as opposed to valuing the other ways you can improve if you're a little bit more aggressive, if you're a little bit more flexible in terms of getting draft picks as opposed to young players. Like, who trades young players? No one trades young players at this point. Like it doesn't make the Blackhawks. sense. Who'd they trade? Debrinket. Debrinket. Yeah. He's twenty four though. He's got a nine million dollar qualifying offer. Like that's a different. That's a different situation for me. You know, I'm I'm talking about like a cost control. If you want a cost control D for for a player like J T Miller, like cost control D don't move. They don't move unless the team doesn't think they're good yet or ever going to be good. I just think there were other there there were other routes to improve this team, um, and instead I just feel like this organization is you know it's not that the temptation increases to see what this lineup can do it's that this organization's painted itself in the into a corner in my view they've been far too conventional in their approach to a you know situation that they inherited, which was bad, like really dark, a really tough circumstance, and it required bolder action, in my view, than what we've seen. At this point, if they're able to carve out the flexibility that makes this offseason make sense, that's pulling a rabbit out of a hat. And I'll applaud them. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to crush them in advance of seeing what the full picture looks like. I just, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at what we've seen play out, and I, I'm just thinking, you know, it's better. I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying that the organization is uh, running headlong into disaster. I think they've, they're have they better managed at this juncture than they would have been a year ago. I'm not surprised when they pull off a good move, but I don't know that they're operating at the level of some of the best-run organizations in hockey. And if this organization can't get to that level, they're going to get stuck drafting 10th to, to 18th forever during one of the most exciting young core in Canucks history's primes, and that to me would be tragic. The point about getting stuck. <laughs> Sorry, on, I, I don't no, know no, how no. I I don't know how I talked myself You're, into this. I'm you you ramped yourself up, Prince. I'm I'm used to it. Well, don't worry, I, don't worry, buddy. I just I just I know everyone wants to be excited, 
and I just don't I just don't see it. I'm sorry. Like I I'm trying to figure it out and I just don't see the plan, Jamie. Like I don't understand. Well, we're I still don't waiting. understand what they're well, doing. We're still waiting for the plan. That that's that's what it all comes back to. And we're look, still waiting for the plan. It's July 14th. I know, but that's 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 they're eight it. months in. We're still waiting to figure out, and it all again, it all hinges on JT Miller to a certain extent, right? Like not to always yeah. bring it back. I mean, to it that, all hinges it on faith. Yeah, and but it's all it also it feels like a matter of faith at this point. And it's like I have faith in my family. I don't have faith in professional sports executives. I've worked with them. <laughs> There's no like you have to you have to explain what you're doing at this point, in my view. Like the, if are they doubling down on this roster? Do you think that that's what's happening? No, I don't think that's what's happening. Okay, right. Then what? What is the plan to get out of this? Just wait and get the return magically yeah, I that mean, you're looking I, for. I wish I could tell you. Now the point about the point about and what if that doesn't come? The point about the return, I think, is really interesting because that's the big question for me: is do you have to significantly adjust what you're trying to get back, not just for JT Miller, but for somebody like Connor Garland, for somebody like Tyler Myers, Tanner Pearson, any of that, or? Do you think there's opportunities down the road where, I mean, not with so much with Miller because we've talked about the deadline scenario and all that, but with a guy like Tyler Myers where, okay, all of a sudden now we can move it. And are you content to wait basically a year to open up significant cap space going forward? And again, maybe we need to hear that explained or maybe we need to hear that addressed in some way. I, I can see, I can understand saying we think it'll be a lot easier to move Tyler Myers and so... Next year is when we're really going to open up sure, that cap but, space. But I can Myers understand was that. Always a hold. Myers was always a hold. In my view, it's more the it's more the forward thing. It's that like we were talking about the need to reallocate cap space outside of the top six. Previously, you've got some guys who are coming up following next year in Horvat, who's going to get more expensive. JT Miller, who will get more expensive if they extend him. Niels Hoaglander, if he performs at all. Um, you know, but at some point, right, like, you know, the Canucks now have what, what, one of the 10 most expensive forward groups in hockey, <laughs> in addition to everything else. Um, you know, it's a good group. Like, I like the forward depth, but are they a top 10 forward group in hockey? Or at some point, is this again a capped out pretender that sort of steered itself back to being a capped out pretender seven months after? the key executives at the top of the organization brought in to fix this mess said one of our big problems is that we're not close to the playoffs and we're capped out. So where's the change here? Yeah, we're waiting for it. We're still waiting for it. There's no doubt about it. it uh, my only point is if it doesn't happen this summer, it doesn't mean it can't happen down the road, right? I don't think that the McKay of signing in and of itself means they're doubling down and saying, okay, we're not going to try to create cap flexibility, right? And I get it that it's frustrating that it hasn't happened already. It would be better if it had. There's no doubt about it that it would be better if it had. But I still think it doesn't preclude the possibility of, okay, we've got our team, but we still want to make these moves, and maybe it happens a little bit later, a little bit farther down the road than we would have preferred. I think that's still or in the maybe, cards. Or, or maybe it's too passive, and in fact, there isn't a plan. What's the what's the simpler solution? What's the simpler answer? You know, at some point, at some point, we've got to hear more than words. We've got to see. We've got to see something. You know, like at some point, we've got to see the plan if we're going to say, okay, there is one, you know? And for now, it just feels like the organization's public commentary about their team and about their intentions doesn't match what we've seen. And in that space, 
I find it pretty difficult to to work up, you know, the optimism to tell this market, hey, in my genuine opinion, I think this club's onto something. We will continue to get into it, what it means for the future of the Canucks, what we could see next. Talk about some of the big surprising moves around the league as well, including Johnny Gaudreau going to the Columbus Blue Jackets of all places. More on the way, 650-650. Tons of great feedback coming in that we'll get into as well on the other side. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is Bo's House. Sportsnet 650 is the official home of the Canucks. Welcome back to the show, Canucks Hour Extended Edition, the plural here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line is fired up, Drancer, you lit a match here on Thursday morning uh, amongst the Canucks faithful and amongst our listeners. Anyways, people are fired up, we've got lots (laughs) to get into. Did I do that? (laughs) You? Did I do that? What? Me? Did I do that? Very Urkel vibes out of uh, out of me today. Can I just read you this uh, Johnny Gaudreau quote from his Please do. Um, Please do. Presser? Have you seen it yet? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Johnny Gaudreau, this is from Greg Wyshynski, my uh, our ESPN, our friend from ESPN, said he wanted to play relatively closer to the East Coast, <laughs> okay? And then he said and then he said this, this is a whopper by the way. This is a whopper. I always dreamed about playing a tad closer to home. It didn't matter where I was signing. Our decision was it was best for us not to go back to Calgary. Whew. <laughs> Man. Woof. Has a team ever been as down bad as the Calgary Flames must feel right now? Like, oh my well, goodness. Yeah. It's tough. Well, it's tough and... Like, they have a lot of cap space, but it's hard for them right now to recruit players, partly because their rink and their facilities are decrepit, right? Um, there's the tax thing. There's the Canadian policies regarding COVID thing. Like, it's tough. It's hard for Canadian teams generally, but it's especially hard for Calgary. Harder for Calgary than any of the other teams in the league so yeah they have cap space they probably have some interesting routes available to them to replace Gaudreau here and yet man it is not going to be an easy process to re- to get people to take that money and and I think that Gaudreau quote really Whew. really shines a spotlight on that that is an extremely extremely tough one an extremely tough yeah. look um for the Calgary Flames and man I don't begrudge Johnny Gaudreau I mean it's not <laughs> You can't even be like, oh, he was just chasing the money. Not that I even really have a problem with that when athletes do it, but he left money on the table. I mean, my goodness. Um, uh, okay. Uh, we, we, we'll we talk about the Johnny uh, Gaudreau signing. And actually, I guess it ties into because, you know, we we've been talking well, uh, unless you want to unless you want to read some of the arguments that uh, that poured in on the yeah uh, I mean I'll read I'll read uh, I was gonna like just do a, a sampling you know a pro and a, okay, and a con a pro and a con here maybe uh, this sure. one came in after eight years of bumbling Benning I'm giving these guys more than eight eight months to clean up a mess that even they couldn't have imagined till they really sunk their teeth into the team still have full confidence in this group that one well, comes that, in that is fair. That is fair, and one thing that is and, I and the is reason the reason I read that one is it probably comes closest to where I'm at, right? Which is, would you love to have seen more? Yes, but I also understand the magnitude of the task approaching them. You know what I mean? Like that that, that totally. tracks pretty closely to how I'm feeling right now. 
Well, and and I do think that the magnitude of the mess inherited, right, which they have never once pointed to, right? This is not like the former regime that came in and spent years blaming, you know, the empty cupboards, right? Like they have never once said, "Oh boy, you know, this is this is rough." They've sort of intimated it in the in the conversations about cap space, but that's about it, right? Um, the fact is, is that this roster was always going to be really difficult to assemble. And so I do agree that they need some time. And, you know, of course, this is a complicated situation they've inherited. And and my sort of rebuttal, I suppose, would just be, while that is all true, right? While that is all true, adding cap commitments, given their circumstance, to me, is what I really struggle with with grasping like it's one thing to be like hey we don't have as much value on our nhl roster as we hoped we're struggling to carve out cap space so let's be conservative in how we approach free agency that's one thing and you'd be hearing a different tone from me right but they went out and they spent like they spent almost six million committed for three four years on both lazar and mikhaev and to add cap commitments considering what they've inherited that's the thing that I think I'm being critical of when I'm saying, hey, I feel like they've painted themselves into a corner here and I can't detect a plan that I'd cape up for and suggest like, hey, this is a team on the right track. I, I like what I'm seeing here. Uh, Frank from Nanaimo is on your side. He says, I totally agree with Drance what's going on with this team. This season will be a write-off with the same group. And I wanted to, uh, I mean, I if you mean a write-off in terms of being legit Stanley Cup contenders, sure. A write-off in terms of improving on last season, I mean, I think they have a... Certainly, if, if it's the roster as it stands right now and JT Miller is back, uh, they have a very, very good chance to do that. I also had to read this one, which uh, I, I think is partly uh, needling you, Drance, but also just like kind of a fun tongue-in-cheek reference to the previous general manager, which is, ever consider that maybe you don't have all the information, which was uh, one of the all-time great quotes from from Jim Benning on here on Sportsnet. 650. Um, this one, uh... I consider that all the time, by the way, to be clear, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is why, like at some point you have to read what's in front of you, you know, like I, I I'm not going to sit here and say, well, there's another shoe to drop. So it's unfair to, to comment on the club's positioning on day two of free agency. No, like, I don't, I don't know that there can be another shoe to drop. I don't know what the club is planning or what they've got on the back burner. So at some point, we just have to take the situation, the facts as they're publicly presented to us, and analyze it as best we can using the organization's own comments about their intentions as the criteria by which to judge the work, right? And that's all I've done here. And for me anyway, sitting here on day two of free agency, knowing there's a lot of time for things to change before this club actually hits the ice in the NHL regular season next year. You know, I, I have some pretty significant concerns about, you know, how they get better big picture. I wanted to read this text. It came in Seems unsigned. Fair, man. Seems fair. Uh, well, I mean, how, how dare you Drance is the, <laughs> is the tenor <laughs> of the, of the, a lot of messages in the inbox right now, but I wanted to read this one. It came in unsigned and, uh, it says, I do think they have a deadline for JT Miller in mind. They waited on Mott, and then they took the best available offer. I just don't think they're truthfully telling us the deadline. Because, yes, the the messaging from the front office has been, we don't feel pressure to make a JT Miller deal. We're fine to have him back on the team next year. You know, maybe a month ahead of next year's trade deadline, we start to, you know, need to get some information. But before that, 
we're not particularly stressed about it. That has been the the public messaging in recent weeks here on JT Miller. And Patrick Alvin gave the update yesterday. You know, no calls on JT Miller yesterday. Not surprising because, you know, it's free agent day. Everyone's focused on that. But teams have been calling, kicking the tires. It hasn't really gone much beyond that. And we talked before the draft, Drancer, about... Okay, it's not actually a harm, uh, a firm deadline in terms of you know anything official being on the calendar, but this period of time right now that we're into, right? Post-free agency opening, but before we get into the real doldrums of summer, as kind of the last key time on the calendar for JT Miller. And I, I, I just thought the Texture's point was interesting because we talked about the potential need for the club to lower the asking price. And when, when the Tyler Mott deal went down... You know, a lot of people said, wait, that's it? You know, a a fourth-round pick a year from now, not even in this upcoming draft? And what it showed us was, okay, maybe they didn't get the price they wanted, but they recognized that they had to do the deal, so they did it. Now, it's a very, very different situation. And again, I've said this a lot in relation to the Mott thing. It's much harder to swallow that with a player like JT Miller than it is with a player like Tyler Mott. But it it did get me thinking, you know, do they see this potentially as the kind of soft deadline at least that that we talked about last week and if so does that mean maybe the ask for JT Miller comes down a little bit and have any of those you know potentially interesting landing spots materialized based on what's happened in free agency so far yeah I mean potentially I I think the fact that Gaudreau landed with a team that made no sense for you know the fact that the the fact that Gaudreau landed with a team that wouldn't have been a Miller uh, in the Miller pond, for example, right? I think is a is a positive development from a Canucks perspective within the you know realm of Miller's trade value, right? Um, the fact that Kadri hasn't landed would also suggest that there's not a you know a um, there's not there's still some uncertainty there still might be some teams in with a with a hand in that particular pot as opposed to being willing to circle back circle back season on considering a miller deal so that's sort of one thing one dynamic i guess still out there that we that would sort of loom large over any timeline questions yeah and the as you said the Gaudreau domino you know the fact that he didn't end up in new jersey or on the island that is a very is very much a positive for the Canucks. You know, obviously with Trocheck going to the Rangers, and I know there was some speculation maybe that doesn't take them out of the JT Miller uh, sweepstakes. It's hard to see how it would fit for them unless it was purely as a rental, and there were some other things happening. But I guess you know you never know. Uh, Washington did, wasn't able to uh, to sign a center. Now New Jersey did sign Andre Pilat uh, to play on the wing and obviously help out. They still have lots of cap space. I don't know how that signing would affect their interest in JT Miller, but Gaudreau not going to the Devils uh, or the Islanders for that matter. Pretty big from a Canucks perspective. And the Cadre one is interesting. That's the last big, okay, how does this affect JT Miller piece left on the market? And the longer it goes for me, the more I wonder if he doesn't end up going back to Colorado, right? And I think that would be a positive from a Canucks perspective as well, because then you're looking at sure you know some of those Eastern Conference teams, and you know I know there was reporting out of Long Island yesterday saying Lou Lamorello he wants to make a splash, the new building they got to do something. He wants to push for the playoffs, and you know if if he is not able to land Nazem Kadri, I wonder if then. 
you know, who knows if those talks even existed in the first place. I don't know what the full story is there, but uh, I wonder <laughs> then if 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 uh, <laughs> if there's a return to those. I talks. want nothing less. I want nothing less than a this Canucks front office Lou Lamorello standoff during the offseason when we've got nothing else to talk about you know no information getting out everyone denying everything that sounds like a nightmare jamie i I have no desire to see this play out that way yeah but i mean doesn't that seem like the most logical fit right now to you Uh, just looking at the uh the options out there i guess washington would be the other one depending on nick backstrom's health and and again who knows if the devils and and andre palat maybe it could still be a fit there but I don't know. I mean, uh, if I had to kind of wager right now, I'd probably have he starts the season with the Canucks as the favorite at this point. But I think I might have the New York Islanders uh, number two on on that list. Maybe that's uh, getting a little ahead of myself, though. So I want to I want to tell you something interesting, by the way. Some of the lines moved after day one of free agency, right, in terms of um, teams odds to win outright Mm -hmm. in the NHL. So. Of course, our friends at Play Now have uh, have uh, these listed, of course. But I just want to quickly refer to the public books because the um, like like public Vegas, the Vegas consensus, as opposed to our good friends at Play Now, uh, who you can use your game sense and, and play with. Of course, place your bets there. But um, but you know the Canucks are a public team for Play Now in a way that they're not for the for Vegas in general. So Vegas in general now has a group of seven teams, all listed at. Uh, plus 5,000 to win the cup. And the Canucks are among them. And and so are the following teams. You ready? This is like the group of seven that Vegas has as being like r- somewhat realistic long shots. It's Buffalo. Now, Buffalo is a public team in the United States. So that's why, right? Okay, yeah. Because that's really Nashville, surprising otherwise. Yeah, okay. Really surprising. So ignore Buffalo. They're, sure. they're, they're a public team. They're like the Dallas Cowboys sure. uh, or the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> of NHL betting. Of okay, NHL. all right. Yeah. Okay, so ignore the Sabres. Predators, Canucks, Winnipeg Jets, Ottawa Senators bumping up into this tier. The New Jersey Devils also bumping up into this tier. They weren't there before. And the Detroit Red Wings all bumping into this tier. So the upstart teams from the East have joined a a club that previously was exclusively the regime of the, like, Western wildcard hopefuls with elite goaltending, right? It was Winnipeg, Nashville, Vancouver. When the season ended, Winnipeg, Nashville, Vancouver. They were the Western wildcard hopefuls with elite goaltending. And now some of these Eastern upstarts have joined the group, including the Senators, the Devils, and the Red Wings. I mean, amazing. Isn't that amazing? Uh, that strikes me as an overreaction to the first day of free agency in terms of the lines, and maybe it's be, you know Vegas, look Vegas responds. Well, of course, to, but that's to where what the Vegas mo- is trying to do. Yeah, to, they, they respond to where the money is coming in, right? And if people are betting it, they're they're going to adjust uh, accordingly. We, I mean, we're talking about you know good forward group, but tough defense for the Vancouver Canucks. Have you looked at Ottawa's defense right now? Right? I mean, I let's let's pump the li- brakes a little bit on on them being a, a dark horse long shot Stanley Cup Agreed. contender here. I mean, yeah, and, and I, no I, question. I would say Detroit, you know, New Jersey, of all of those teams that you listed to to jump up, I guess I can kind of understand the case for New Jersey the best, because if, if they're the kind of Me team too, where yeah. if the goaltending goes right, okay, you can kind of picture everything else falling into place for them and going on this this st- type of storybook run. Look, we're talking 50 to 1 odds here, so I'm not saying it's particularly likely, but of those Eastern upstarts that you're talking about, if you were trying to build a case for any of them, I think the Devils have have the most persuasive case there. Well, Definitely not the, the Devils, Ottawa Senators. 
the Devils also don't have to face what the Senators and the Red Wings do, which is, you know, a, a group of teams in Florida, Tampa Bay, Toronto, where, you know, I think all those teams have improved. Maybe you've improved to the point where you can um, catch or reel in Boston, depending on Patrice Bergeron's status, right? But I don't think those teams are reeling in the, the Leafs, the Panthers, or the Lightning tier next season. No, that's uh, that's going to be know, pretty... that's my view. Yeah, I, I, which, I agree which, with that. Which brings us to the Pacific, which we want to talk about a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into the the pecking order in the Pacific, because it was actually a really interesting day in the Pacific Division. It's been an interesting offseason uh, in the Pacific Division. Obviously, the headliner is, you know, the division winner yesterday, or uh, last season, loses their best player in Johnny Gaudreau in free agency in the most soul-crushing manner possible, uh, pretty much. Also, Vegas has to trade... Their leading goal scorer, I believe, from last season, Max Pacioretty, uh, to the Carolina Hurricanes. So that's kind of what happened yesterday. Obviously, the Canucks make their additions, but we all know, you know, L.A. added Kevin Fiala. Uh, Edmonton has brought back a lot of the key pieces, plus they signed Jack Campbell. And I, I thought it would be worth kind of taking stock of where the Canucks now stand, where we think they might stand as things currently sit. And again, moves to come, all that. We get it uh, in the pecking order of the Pacific Division. How do you see it, Drance? Well, let's uh, let's again start with uh, start with the Vegas consensus, okay? Because the Vegas consensus, this is to win the Stanley Cup, long shot odds, ranks the teams in the Pacific as follows: Vegas Golden Knights would be the best odds, the the shortest odds to win the cup. So one, the Edmonton Oilers second with the second shortest odds, then the Calgary Flames, then the L.A. Kings, then the Vancouver Canucks. And then you get to the Sharks. Oh, sorry. No, you get to the Ducks. And then you get to the Sharks. And then you get to the Kraken. And then you get to the Coyotes. So that's that's what the betting lines favor among the Pacific Division teams, right? Would be Vegas 1, Edmonton 2, Calgary 3, LA 4, Vancouver 5, and then, you know, obviously the other teams, right? Like San, It barely yes, even matters the, the order of them, right? Yeah. The Anaheim, San Jose, Seattle, Arizona. Uh, and by the way, the the balance of the Pacific, four of the six teams with the longest Stanley Cup odds play in the Pacific. So the bottom end of, of the Pacific is gross, grody, um, which maybe, maybe if you're an optimist, creates an environment where perhaps you could have four uh, or even five wildcard teams from the Pacific because they're beating up on, you know, if you if if all f- five of the decent teams in the Pacific are able to you know, run roughshod over the that the, that sort of bottom four. Well, maybe yeah. you get to a you're, point you're, where you're 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 putting Arizona in the Pacific, but uh, oh, sorry, yeah, my yeah. bad. Right, okay. But Seattle, San so, Jose, and Anaheim at the bottom of the Pacific. Okay, still so not three great. of the bottom six. Yeah. Still yeah. three of the bottom six from the Pacific. So if you know if the if the chalk teams are able to beat up on those teams all uh, like across the board, you could have a an environment where that wild card, you know becomes like a two uh a, there's a two possibility of two teams from the pacific getting in as a result right having inflated records as a result so that's sort of one dynamic to be aware of but do you what what would be the disagreement that you'd have with the vegas consensus as well, it stands today it, it's not so much a disagreement as it is i would probably have i would have vegas and edmonton at the top and then I think the gap right now, as it currently stands, again, with JT Miller on the roster, with Connor Garland on the roster, all of that, and to be fair, with the less-than-ideal defense that the Canucks have, I think the gap and the margins between Calgary, 
LA and the Canucks are very, very small, right? And, and it wouldn't, you know, I would have to really sit down and break it down and okay, okay, maybe I just like this team more than a hair. I, if I had to guess, I'd probably still have the Canucks at five in that group, but it wouldn't be by, you know, a six-point margin from number four or anything, right? It would be just a hair behind those other teams, and I don't think there's really an order that those teams would finish in that would really surprise me at this point with the caveat that a lot could change. Yeah, and and the Matthew Kachuk situation is the one that looms largest for me, right? Like if there's, you know, if he accepts his qualifying offer and it becomes clear that he's going to move in season or something like that, right? That would that would dramatically upend the apple cart for me in terms of what I'd expect out of the Flames. But if the Flames return, basically this entire roster, if they get you know a, a long-ish term deal done with Kachuk this summer, um, regardless of what they add. Then for me, they're two. For me, I think the Oilers are overvalued. The Flames are undervalued as a result of how that playoff series went. I think the Flames will be, um, you know, very much in a tier with Vegas above the rest of the division for me. And then I'd have Edmonton as a pretty clear three. And then I'd probably have Vancouver and L.A. as like um, sort of sort of interchangeable. Like, like tied. I put the, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put the Kings decidedly ahead of the Canucks, mostly because I think Vancouver's edge in goaltending in goal in goal could be decisive, right? Um, I know I love the Fiala move. I think the LA Kings are really, really good. I love the way that they transition. I suspect that their ability to get up and down the ice will make them a bad matchup for the Canucks head to head and in terms of uh, of where they'll sit in the standings. But for me, those are those are coin flip teams in the same tier. But either way, I'm putting them outside the top three in the Pacific. And that, you know, sort of shines a light again on what I'm talking about, of, on, on the risks that the Canucks have taken on. And I, I saw someone on Twitter suggest that I've been calling the Canucks like a free agency loser on this program. And, and that's not really it. So much as I'm trying to spotlight where they're positioned following day one of free agency, I see them as taking on just a ton of risk here. And, and part of that risk comes from the fact that the way I handicap the race in the Pacific at the moment, the Canucks, to me, are outside the top three, capped out with a defense that's in dire need of improvement. And that that's just an uncomfortable spot to be in for this franchise. And then you look to the rest of the Western Conference picture, and as you know, you mentioned the bottom feeders in the Pacific Division that really don't, you know, you don't figure to be factors in the playoff race. And then obviously in the Central, you have the absolute true dregs <laughs> of the, the NHL. Like, yeah. We're, we're yeah, talking the, bottom the great feeders. tank battle. Yeah, Chicago the and Arizona. In the Central, yeah. And so then, I mean, I think, you, you know, Look, would the Canucks finishing the top three in the Pacific shock me? No, absolutely not. But, I, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say the most obvious path is as one of the wild card teams. And you look at it, put them in, the, put them in L.A. in the mix with, let's say, Winnipeg, Nashville, and Dallas in the Central, right? And you're kind of, okay, two yeah, spots. That sounds about right. Two spots for those five teams. I would probably have L.A. and the Canucks as maybe the favorites out of the out of those teams, right? But again, not overwhelmingly so. Those all figure to be in that jumble, in that playoff bubble, uh, in the Western Conference. And again, the uh, the bottom feeders are are serious bottom feeders in the West. I, I wonder if we're going to see actually something like we saw in the Eastern Conference last year, right, where there was such a giant split between the top of the conference and the bottom of the conference. And you know, I think it'll be there's more teams that'll they'll be in the playoff race in the West than we're in the East last year but yeah the the split right now on paper is really really significant 
Yeah, the team to watch out for, though, is Nashville, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't like the trade because you look at what they gave up or received for Ryan McDonough versus the inducement, right? <laughs> like they, the, the inducement that the Carolina Hurricanes got for taking on Max Pacioretty, right? And I think that's... That's one of those trades that I think looks bad just two weeks later in terms of Poyle's understanding of, of the of the value of cap space on the trade market at the moment. But the Nashville Predators still have $10 million in space, and at the end of the day, they've added Ryan McDonough. Yeah, he's a good player. Like, you, you, like, it, it might not have been an efficient move, but he's going to help them win games next year. Oh, I hate the trade, but I also think that Nashville's improved. Like, so, you know, it's one of those things where I look at that and I think, okay, that that's – that's a team that could be better here. Um, Dallas added Mason Marchment, and I thought the Colin Miller deal was a sharp one for them. Like, I loved that contract. One of my favorite deals done yesterday because I think he's um, he could be a really nice fit with a player like a Ryan Suter for me uh, or maybe a player like an Essa Lindell, like a more defensive-oriented uh, left defender, and they've got a ton of options um, for that. You know, they're going to get Ottinger done Ottinger's a revelation for them, has been a revelation for them. They still have hints. Gurionov, you know, Robertson's going to get done here. Like, that. that's a team. I, I don't know that I'd pick L.A. and Vancouver as the favorites over Dallas and Nashville. Like, I think, I, I think you have to almost um, sort of give the, give, the, give the balance of probability – to to the chalk teams. Well, they are they're they're the incumbents. Look at them both, right? And say so improved. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I understand that. All right, uh, we got to take a break here. A dog is in my ear, telling me to tell me to break. Uh, more reaction coming up. The second hour of the show on the way. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. I want to talk about what some of the deals mean. Uh, some of the deals we saw around the league yesterday mean for the Canucks, not just in terms of the trade market, but in potentially trying to get some of their own guys signed as well. We touched a little bit on it uh, yesterday, but I think there was just some interesting, some other interesting moves around the league that could have ramifications down the road for the Canucks. So we'll get into that. Continue taking your thoughts and questions about the Canucks offseason as well. More to come. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.